Hey listeners, Dennis here. On this episode, you will get to hear from two executives of the Toll Roads. Not often will you see both of these executives appear together to more or less give a State of the Union COVID edition. And that's where I feel very blessed, and I hope you will enjoy this episode as I get to talk to Samuel Johnson, who is the CEO, and he is also the president of the International Bridge, Tunnel, and Turnpike Association, and he's also a former guest of the show. And joining him is his chief financial officer, Mrs. Amy Potter. If you are a resident of Orange County and you're wanting to know what's going on with the toll roads, or if you're into transportation finance, then I think you will greatly enjoy this episode as we get to talk about the state of the union during these COVID times. Also, be sure you're subscribed to the podcast. I'll be releasing a Van Life mini-series Thanksgiving weekend. Also, every Friday, I will be giving to you the Friday Rundown, which will recap the week, including one of my favorite topics that I'm thankful now that I could talk about more with you, and that is the automotive stock market and everything that's involved in the automotive stock market. I'll tell you some of the different trades that I've done. I'll tell you some of the different insight that I have with all these different companies and the moves that companies are making. So that's going to be every Friday at the Friday Rundown right here on Wisco Weekly. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. Now, let's get into the show. And we start with the background on Mrs. Amy Potter. You are now tuned in to... The Wisco Weekly Experience. Maybe uh, you could tell me a little bit about you, um, and so I could, you know, have a good sense of who you are a little bit. Sure. Uh, so my background is as a CPA. So, um, you know, obviously coming out of school, I worked in public accounting. Really, kind of just stumbled upon um, the TCA. And, uh, and started here, though, about 16 years ago now. So I've been with the agency for quite some time. Uh, started as assistant controller, worked my way through controller, director of finance, and then in 2012, I was appointed CFO. Um, so the thing, though, that impressed me with the agency and why I decided to stay for so long is just like you were discussing that model, that that amazing um, and unique model that was developed um, back before I was even thinking about anything like uh, transportation, infrastructure, anything like that. Um, and so just how I come to learn how innovative our agency has been way back from the beginning uh, when this was just thought of, you know, these agencies were formed to solve a problem, obviously, something, you know, the, the roads were on the books for years, not being able to build because there was no funding, but just all of the creative things that came about from that, um, even just when I learned more and more about the initial financings, um, nothing had ever been done like what our agencies had done using design build too, just getting creative, um, finding ways where they could get investors to really believe that out in just this, in the middle of nowhere, that these roads were needed, obviously, and that they were going to produce uh, the traffic and then the development and everything else that comes along with it. And so there were so many things that were done um, getting this unique financing loan uh, credit from the federal government that was never used, but it was the basis for it was to get that investor confidence in saying, okay, well, there is a, some backstop here. And so I'm willing then to put in my funds and invest and make up that very significant amount that was needed to fund the roads. 
So it's just things like that that have just kept me so excited and involved um, that I just kind of turn around and think, wow, I can't believe I've been here working at this agency that long. But it's just because it, it's always interesting. We're always looking at new things. Is that so? Are you referring to the the initial funding of the toll roads, and and maybe again, this is where you can help me understand the nuances of this. Is so? Did the federal government essentially help produce a a backing and a validity so that you guys could go out to the private markets to raise money? And, you know, essentially, you know, get what what is called a non-recourse revenue bond, which Samuel Johnson, thank you for explaining that in our prior recording. So thank you, sir. No problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what I was referring to is it was a federal line of credit that it was really um, our agency, the CEO at the time, went uh, to the Federal Highways Administration and negotiated this um line of credit that was really just serving as a backstop so that if we didn't meet our financial covenants, it would kick in. But really what that ended up becoming is the TIFIA program today. TIFIA stands for the Transportation Infrastructure Finance and Innovation Act. The TIFIA credit program is designed to fill market gaps and leverage substantial private co-investments to improve the nation's transportation system. This program provides credit assistance for qualified projects of regional and national significance. So it was really that concept that spurred it on because um, since there really was just a very minuscule amount of federal and state funding available for this infrastructure, the majority of it was financed through the non-recourse toll revenue bonds. And so to get, you know, that much debt that you were issuing to pay for a brand new road, you know, a greenfield project, um, there needed to be other things in place where the investors would, you know, basically say, okay, yes, I'm going to back this entire project, essentially. And so that was one thing. Design build was really important as well. Getting the project done as soon as possible to get those revenues starting. Um, So things like there were some incentives, obviously, to uh, the construction contractor, and they came through on it. The project was opened sooner than um, it had been planned. And so it was all those things that were put together as one whole package that made the thing work. Now, so you had mentioned that you had stumbled across the toll roads. What what do you mean you stumbled across the toll roads? Yeah, I was just, you know, I wasn't really looking for um, a new opportunity, but just kind of came across um, an ad for the for the position. And so I just started looking into it. And when I first started researching uh, the toll roads, even though I grew up in Orange County, um, saw them being built, I really didn't know much about them and why they were here and what, what, you know, really the purpose was. And so I started researching it thinking, you know, maybe this is a job opportunity that I'd be interested in. And so I started researching what the agencies had done. And then I came in for an interview and I was so impressed that the agencies were really run like a business because that's where I came from is the private sector. And that was the one concern I had initially was, do I really want to work for a governmental agency? But I was so impressed that it had the best of both worlds. It was, you know, has all the aspects of a public agency, but also run like the private sector, which is what I was used to. Listeners, you are hearing from Amy Potter, the chief financial officer at the toll roads. She received a bachelor's in business administration from Cal State Fullerton. She has a master's degree in taxation from Golden Gate University. She's been a CPA for more than 28 years. And as she alluded to, both in the public and private sector, or primarily came from the private sector. And recently, recently, earlier this year, she was awarded the CFO of the year from the Orange County Business Journal. Miss Amy Potter, welcome to the show. Thank you. And also, also accompanying us is CEO Samuel Johnson. Thanks for having me, Of course, my 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 
you know, I guess you could, you call us friends here. It's, you know, we, we recorded, God, what, two years ago, Sam, two, about two years Indeed. ago. Has it been two years? Yeah. I, I, I think it's right about then that we recorded about two years ago. And, you know, I, uh, listeners, I will post on the episode page, uh, the previous episode I did with Samuel, he give, he gave a very great introduction kind of 101 to different types of funding for infrastructure. And that was actually, that's some of the things that Amy was just touching upon at this moment. And the idea, I guess, let me, let me explain this for the listeners, uh, Amy and Sam, and then please tell me, you know, correct me where my, where I'm wrong here. So what we're, what Amy was just talking about was the TCA, the, the transportation corridor agencies, which is comprised of a bunch of different public officials that represent all the different cities in which the toll roads benefit. And then the, in order to maintain the actual business operation, you now have officially the toll roads, which that is where Sam is CEO and Amy is CFO. That's correct. And so now Amy, you're talking here about the, the innovative ways that, um, the, the toll roads were, were funded. Um, Samuel, to you, there was, I, I read your, I guess, most recent letter, uh, State of the Union, maybe, or introduction as a CEO uh, a couple months ago. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm curious if you could talk me through this or, or tell me more about this. You said, quote, this is where we hope the federal government can support the tolling industry, not as a means of rescuing agencies, but as part of the economic boost that invest that investments in transportation infrastructure always provide the user finance transportation model is a viable long-term solution. And the tolling in- industry stands ready to rise to the call with our ability to, to bring private investment to the table. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Yeah. I mean, this speaks to really to two aspects. So what I was highlighting up front is some of what uh, Amy was sharing. Right, the tolling industry and our financial model, especially what we've done here at TCA, is very strong. Um, and there's been no greater test on our financial model than what we're all going through with the economic impacts of the pandemic. So our financial model is strong. So when I was referring to um, the federal government assisting us, it wasn't because we need help, you know, paying our bills. Right, we're we're, we're financially stable. But what toll facilities or toll agencies can do and really what investments in transportation can do, they provide an economic boost. I think we hear all hear that all the time from the federal government when they're looking at stimulus packages, ways to boost the economy. One of the things that's always at the top of the list are investments in infrastructure. So the sweet spot is where that concept crosses with toll roads, because as Amy mentioned, that um, uh, as we experienced in the past, uh, a small investment from the federal government can bring in tons of investment from private industry. And that can help us deliver projects um, and transportation infrastructure, which bring jobs and, and boost the economy. So what are some other small investments that the federal government provides? Well, you, you know, it all comes down to how the federal government would like to do it. If they wanted to provide um, a grant to toll agencies um, to you know, provide starter funds on a project, um, that's an opportunity. If it's a line of credit such as TCA um, had but did not use, that's an example as well. Or whether it's a loan, uh, like Amy mentioned with TIFIA, uh, sometimes uh, that loan component, although that is still debt, the tolling agency has to pay back with its toll revenues, but it's still a component that other creditors in private industry know, okay, I'm not bearing all the risk by myself. The federal government has a play in this, so I'm willing to invest um, in these roads and help boost the economy through transportation infrastructure. So as I understand, there's about 1.7 million account holders? Actually, uh, I think we've surpassed 1.8 million now. So we can see growth even during uh, the pandemic. What metric do you use to gauge ridership on the toll roads? Like h- how, do you, how do you measure how many people are traveling on the toll roads? So I, I would say prior to the pandemic, you know, because which is when things were, were normal. I don't know what the new normal looks like, but prior to the pandemic, you know, our, we were at highs of 350,000 transactions per day. That's 350,000 trips that aren't on the I-5, Interstate 405, State Route 55. So it's reducing congestion on those facilities, improving mobility for everyone in the county. 
and and that is that's regardless of if even I as a driver go through two different tolls, right? You're, you're, you said three hundred fifty thousand transactions. Yeah, it really depends on your trip and which facility you're using, right? So on our State Route seventy three, uh, pretty much everyone has one transaction, whether you use the full facility or you use part. When we talk about our Foothill Eastern Corridor, we have three different toll roads there. So your trip may cross more than one. So you sure. may have multiple transactions. So we have a variety of users, you know, like any transportation network. Some people take short trips. Some people take long trips. It really comes down to the individual. But at some level, each of those transactions does represent a segment of non-toll facility that did not have to be used and that thereby reduces congestion on that non-toll facility. I imagine COVID has severely disrupted your business operation, and hence you've seen a loss, a significant loss in toll revenue. How are you guys handling this loss in revenue? Yeah, I'll, I'll speak to the high level, and, and Amy can share with you some of our success. You know, the, the first thing I, I'd like to point out is, you know, like we all experience, right? Private businesses, government services, and definitely transportation. The impacts of the pandemic have been significant. And that was definitely felt on the toll roads. Uh, and in dealing with the pandemic and those economic impacts, you know, we of course want to make sure we maintain our fiscal responsibility and looking at the business side of things. But we also wanted to recognize our role as a government agency. So we made some shifts there in terms of how we were doing um, our business. And uh, a key shift was uh, in increasing our focus on messaging to the community, not about using the toll roads, right? Because, you know, normally our model is we want to encourage folks to use the toll roads. But with the focus on everyone's health and safety and the stay-at-home orders, that was not our message. So our board wanted our priority to be that we should message um, to the public that, hey, we are concerned about your health and safety. Please follow our state guidelines. And you know we'll be here for you when it's time to get back on the road. So we made some adjustments there uh, in terms of how we communicate to folks um, and making sure we were there to uh, support our first responders and those critical workers who still had to go to work every day to make sure the rest of us were safe. And then we also recognized the economic challenges that some of our community members and our customers were having. So we made some adjustments in our policies by allowing folks more time to pay the toll. And for folks who may have received a violation, uh, we provided some more flexibility in uh, the time you had to pay that violation, how you could set up a monthly payment plan so you could pay um, a smaller amount each month over a longer period of time. So we really wanted our focus to be around the community. And I think we were very successful in doing that. On the business side, as uh, Amy will tell you, um, we've had a lot of success. We did have a significant impact initially, as you noted, but we started seeing improvements right away, and we continue to see that improvement today. Well, so let me ask you a quick follow-up to that then, Samuel, because I feel like there's some conflict in what you're saying, because on one hand, you're the CEO of a business, and of course, you then need to manage revenue or you need you need to generate revenue, but yet you're telling people to stay home. And obviously that's for the public health and the safety of it all, but you still need to operate a business. And maybe this is where you have an operator such as Amy by your side to help manage the the business side of it all, to manage the projections in the long term of how the business is going to operate. So I guess Amy how are you looking at fiscal management on your end? Yes, and that's, you know, that's a great question because obviously um, if we don't have the revenues, we can't all do all the great things that uh, our mission asks us to do, which is improve mobility. So we were very fortunate because over the past, uh, oh, say six years or so, we have made all the right financial decisions. And I know we're not alone in that regard. I've, I've seen that a lot of other tolling agencies have done the same thing. Um, but we really worked to ensure that we were making the right uh, fiscal decisions. And that included um, making sure that we were building up our cash reserves. 
So we have a very strong amount of liquidity. And so that really positioned us well to manage through um, whatever may be ahead of us. So meeting our financial obligations, um, we are, as I mentioned, very well positioned. And nobody knows really at this point still, I think to this day, what the other side of COVID really looks like. And so as you mentioned, what are the long-term impacts and will we be able to meet all of our financial obligations? Well, um, looking at it from a financial standpoint, of course we do some uh, sensitivity analyses, you know, looking at what, you know, what if scenarios on where COVID may have an impact on a longer term basis. And sensitivity analysis. Can you dive into that a little bit deeper? Like what project or what part of the operation, what was going on and how did you diagnose it? Right. Well, I mean, the, the basic form of it is looking at COVID scenarios. And so, um, we used three various scenarios uh, that would be like a short term, short duration, a mid duration, and a long term duration. And so those just make various assumptions about um, the duration of the COVID impact as well as the severity of it. And so we were very conservative in our approach on just um, using one of those scenarios as our budgeting for the the current fiscal year that we're in, as well as what would happen in the long term? Would we be able to meet all of our financial obligations? And, um, you know, obviously we're still looking to see what that long-term impact may be, but right now everything's faring very well, but it also is based on the fact that we have this a, a very large amount of liquidity. And so we're able then, if things don't um, recover as quickly as we would hope that we do have that cash available that we could still use towards debt service if necessary. Um, but there were other things too that we really did to strengthen the long-term financial position over those past six years. And one of them was really related to refinancing and restructuring both of our systems debts. And we obviously took advantage of all of, uh, the historically low interest rates and other factors that enabled us to do that. And coming out of the recession, that's when we, we um, put together these refinancing and restructurings. And so we knew how severe it could be with, um, you know, the, the great recession that we had just gone through when we restructured the debt. And so we put together a structure that was so conservative that we could withstand those types of economic cycles. Well, of course, nobody really um, would have predicted something like COVID. But still, just the fact that we were so conservative in our approach and wanting to do that in a way where we would only assume very small toll rate increases. So we base them on 2% inflationary increases over time, because as Samuel mentioned, our goal is to keep that traffic on our system rather than pushing that traffic off onto those alternatives that are already so congested. So by doing that, making sure that we followed that inflationary toll rate increase each year, keeping our customers happy, but at the same time looking out for our long-term finances, building the cash reserves, and also continuing to look for opportunities through those years to reduce our debt by strategic uh, refinancings, which we've done without extending our maturities of our bonds, then, you know, we put ourselves in a really good position here. If you had to compare and contrast the current economic impact of COVID on the toll roads today versus the Great Recession, how do you compare and contrast those two? Well, it's, it's obviously much more severe. So something that I, like I said, I don't think anybody ever would have anticipated something like that. You, you always factor in economic cycles. So we know that we go through recessionary periods and it's always just a matter of then how severe are they going to be. This was something that completely stopped business and it had nothing to do with how the economy was um, functioning prior to the pandemic hitting. It was completely different and it was immediate. 
And so, um, as Samuel mentioned, though, it was, even though it was so severe initially, you know, we have seen recovery, but that recovery is dependent upon the reopening of business, you know, eventually schools going back in full session, um, people being, having a need to move from place to place. But as, as mentioned, it has been slightly, you know, it's been a steady increase uh, week over week. Well, so like any business, um, there's always going to be the question of how much runway do we have left? How do you answer, how would you, for, you know, for those that are concerned about uh, the, the toll roads, how, how much runway do you have left? So we, we have quite a bit because, um, you know, even running those severe sensitivities, we still come out. Uh, where we can meet our obligations. So, and I think it is because of the debt structure that we put together and all of the decisions that we've made and ensuring that we have um, cash available as well to supplement that. So let me tell you something here secretly, Amy. I hear you talking. I do. I hear you talking. I hear my dad on the other end. He's, He's very much just about this look, you have to have a backup to the backup to the backup plan, you know, and that sounds like everything that you're kind of talking about in terms of how you're being, how you're managing mm-hmm. the, the budgets uh, of, of the toll roads. And, you know, so this is, this is an example here where I love to hear this. I don't know if this happens enough with different types of, you know, agencies that, that look at fiscal management in this way. I don't know if it's an Orange County thing, you know, or, or what, what, whatever the case may be, but this is where the, the mindset, the, the management is great. It supports the user-based model, which I'm a, I'm a big fan of the user-based model, but there's still an opposition out there. We can look at this as the city of San Clemente. I've been born and raised in Orange County. Uh, Amy, I think if I understand you, well, you said you were, you live in Orange County now, but I, if I understand, I read somewhere that you live in Yorba Linda. Yes, I do. And I've lived in Orange County since I was two. So I am pretty since much. you were two. And Mr. Johnson is a world traveler. You yeah. know, he came from San Diego and parts of the East Coast too, right? Yeah, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, uh, but I came out here to California, Southern California to go to college. And mm-hmm. I couldn't leave. Yep. I've, I've hopped around Southern California quite a bit. Okay, so we have San Clemente. Uh-huh. That is a city that, let me see if I can characterize my thoughts on it. And I feel like I can be a bit harsher because, again, I uh-huh. I got I have friends there. And, uh, again, I, I think I've seen it long enough that I feel like I, 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 I can make a fair characterization. There's, there's a prevailing wind in San Clemente that... Uh, they do not. They vehemently oppose the toll roads going through that city. San Clemente over the last twenty years has seen tremendous development, be it new communities like Talega, be it the outlets. So they obviously do value, um, you know, growth and expansion in their city. But again, there's still something about bringing toll roads in to their city that the longtime San Clemente residents absolutely oppose. To Sam, we can start with you. Tell me, is that characterization fair? And what's the deal there? You know, I, I wouldn't say it's just about toll roads. I think it's about transportation infrastructure um, overall. And I, I think what the folks of San Clemente um, were trying to express and what they experienced is very common, right? When when you're talking about developing new transportation infrastructure. Uh, through existing communities, it creates a lot of angst. And that angst is not surprising, um, especially when you consider um, the mandates that an agency like TCA has to work through um, in in terms of looking at environmental impacts and looking at the data. So when you start these processes, there are a lot of unknowns. So folks in the community, all they know is they might be impacted and imaginations can run wild on what that impact is. And when humans, you know, when we don't know what's coming, um, it creates that angst I mentioned, um, and folks react differently. So, you know, what San Clemente um, has done is, you know, they were expressing their concerns uh, about the study. 
that we were doing to look at transportation improvements down in the southern part of the county. But the outcome of that study was uh, celebrated by almost everyone, right? So uh, what came out of that study was our board's recommendation that we um, hand off uh, work to the county of Orange to look at an extension of Los Patronas Parkway, which is an untold arterial um, that connects to the 241. So everyone loved that solution. Um, the regional uh, transportation agencies uh, loved it. Our friends at Orange County Transportation Authority, Caltrans, our elected officials, and members of the community in, within and outside the city of San Clemente. But there's a small group of individuals. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, uh, they fully understand that our studies concluded and it's final and we're moving forward or the county's moving forward, um, but they continue to hang on to some of that angst and you know, uh, some of the things that they're uh, expressing concern about are things that are already in the rearview mirror. So we're optimistic that we'll be able to move forward uh, and continue providing mobility enhancements to um, the region, um, but we just got to continue to bring uh, this small group of people along. I mean, it. See, I don't. Again, maybe it is something that no one has explained to them the benefits of bringing better, you know, lanes to the city. Because look, let's be real too. San Clemente, that that's no cheap city. There's a lot of affluent people there. So obviously, if you're also explaining to them that hey, look, you know, bringing some of these roads in there you know, brought to you by the toll roads, which has a fiscal management policy, as Amy was just explaining, and it's based on a user model. I, Again, I guess I'm still struggling to see how, again, the long time, it, it, it seems like the younger generation of folks that live in San Clemente are not as opposed to, you know, bringing in more roads into San Clemente, but it's just, it's the long time ones. And again, I, I get it. If you've been, if you were born and raised in there and you just you are opposed to some, any sort of change, I get that. But uh, again, like yeah. there's 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 plenty of growth going on in that city, so obviously they can't stop it. Yeah, but part of that kind of points back to what Amy was sharing, right? About the great decisions our leaders made 30 years ago, and I I would agree with you on one point, Dennis, and and that's it. I think a lot of folks don't understand how we got to this great quality of life that we have in Orange County, and it's tied to our investment in transportation. So those decisions that were made 30 years ago and the resulting infrastructure we have, 420 lane miles across four facilities that accounts for 20% of the highway miles in uh, Orange County, that mobility has what has made um, Orange County a great place to live and to make it a great business community. So there are a lot of benefits there that folks may take for granted now. They see it, it's been here for a while, our facilities have been here 30 years, and they might miss that connection that good transportation creates a good quality of life. So we gotta just keep reminding them of those perks and reminding them of those great decisions that the leaders made 30 years ago and why those are still important today. Now, you know, one thing I failed to mention at the beginning, and I apologize, Samuel, and I'll mention that now, and that is, you know, when we first recorded before, you were the CEO, and you, there was a small period of time you were the interim CEO, and now you are the big cheese over there at the toll roads. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm curious, uh, especially now officially being in this new role, um, you know, and maybe especially in regards to COVID, mm-hmm. um, what, what, what are you seeing as some of your biggest challenges ahead? Well, you know, uh, I'm honored to be selected for this role, and I'm happy to lead such a great team uh, of individuals and staff that we have here at TTA. So it's been a great opportunity. Um, And I won't say it's been an easy job. I think the first week on the job is when COVID really started to set in. And I just spent a lot of time with Amy Potter um, revamping our entire budget. So I don't want you to get the impression that you know, because we had um, made all these great financial decisions in the past, that we were just going to live off of those reserves. Uh, we took deliberate steps in working with our board at a very low level of detail to look at every one of the expenditures we have in our budget. And for uh, those expenditures, we reduced our budget by 51%. So we cut, um, was it about $70 million, Amy? 
Yes, some eighty million. Mm-hmm. Eighty million dollars out of our budget. So um, we've taken um, the fiscal steps that Amy uh, mentioned uh, that got us to this point. We're continuing. Uh, that sound fiscal approach to manage our business and our resources. So that aspect was really challenging, um, you know, because uh, as I mentioned earlier, the economic benefits that transportation provides, we had to scale some of those efforts back, right? We had to delay some of our projects because we wanted to make sure we didn't get ahead of ourselves and be overly confident with our financial position. So that slowed things down in terms of our ability to contribute to economic recovery, but it was the best decision to make. Well, so tell me a little bit more about this. So, so you've cut $80 million out of the uh, what fiscal 2020-2021 budget? 21 budget. And, and so there's uh, transportation projects that uh, did not make the cut. Mm-hmm. Is there any one of those fairly notable and, and maybe even like a, a personal you know, passionate project of yours that especially as head of the mm-hmm. of, of the toll roads you would have liked to have seen done? Well, I think that's the good thing. Going back to what Amy was sharing, all those great decisions we made in the past, they're paying off today. So when we had to reduce our budget, our boards were still able to focus and say, no, I still want to fund our priority projects. So one of those key projects that I'm very excited about that we're working with um, is the 241-91 Express Connector. This is a great project that's gonna provide a flyover bridge connecting uh, the 241 toll road directly into the 91 express lanes. And for the first time uh, that anyone can remember, that project will allow a free flow trip for folks coming all the way from Riverside to Irvine. So that's gonna be pretty amazing in terms of uh, that option. Uh, The project also enhances the operations of the 91 so even folks who aren't using the toll facilities, they'll get some benefit as well in terms of reduced travel time. So that project is pretty incredible. And this is a multi-agency, multi-county project. We're working very closely with our partners at Caltrans, um, our partners at the Orange County Transportation Authority and the Riverside County Transportation Commission. So it's a very complex project with a lot of positive upsides so I'm excited to have that one uh, really going forward at, as the showcase of um, uh, the plans that our boards have for our capital projects. And there's no one better to bring together all those big organizations than you, Mr. Johnson, no oh. doubt about that. <laughs> but, you know, but, you know, Amy, maybe you could tell me, you could tell me a little more. So, I mean, 80 million, it's a pretty penny. It's a pretty penny. <laughs> What so what what has been lost? Well, you know, right. is this has the fat been trimmed off, or what exactly is the eighty million dollars that uh, is no longer in the twenty one budget? Yeah, it so uh, there was a, a portion of it that related to operations that would really essentially follow the revenue or the service needed under a regular basis, but would be cut obviously under a COVID scenario. So some of it was just natural um, reduction of the budget. The majority of it uh, was, as Samuel stated, they were projects that could be deferred. Uh, so initiatives as well, uh, so other agency initiatives, things that you know we feel are important, but they're things that we felt it was just a smart thing to do to defer, get to the other side of COVID, reassess if there's any long-term implication, and then reprioritize those projects. So fortunately, like Samuel mentioned, we were able to keep you know, our highest priority project, the 241-91, um, and also the completion of our Oso Bridge project, whereas the other projects that really were probably ahead of their time anyway, they weren't needed right today, but they're things that are still priorities for the agency, we were able to defer. I, I kind of stumbled across that uh, Oso Bridge uh, as I was driving out that way towards kind of Ladera Ranch. And uh, actually I was heading to Rancho Mission Viejo and my navigation was taking me down Oso and then to the bridge. And I was like, I had no idea where I was going because I thought I had to hit Antonio. And then again, little did I know. And you you guys kind of snuck that project in because I, you know, I, I wouldn't say, I'd say I've taken that road easily once within the last eight months. I mean, when did you guys start and end that project? 
Oh, I'm not recalling exactly when we started it. It's been a uh, it's been a few years. Well, we started it shortly about the same time Lost Patronus was completing, right? Yeah, it's probably been about three years in total because we're just now obviously finishing up with the project. Yeah, so it, it, it's a great project, Dennis, um, and it it's a, a part another partnership project where we're working with the County of Orange. Uh, where we're providing uh, the financial funding using those same reserves that Amy spoke about. Uh, so no uh, increased debt, uh, no use of uh, uh, additional taxpayer dollars. Uh, so we're funding it and we're using the County of Orange um, uh, to construct it. So that's a great partnership and it actually builds onto uh, the partnership that we had with the private industry, with the developer, Rancho Mission Viejo, to construct Los Patrones. So I think this is, you know, these are just some examples of TCA's uh, ability to use our financial standing and the good decisions, again, that Amy mentioned we've been making over the last several years to support regional improvements and to partner with other agencies and private industry to get things done. You know, is there something that would ever, I mean, you could call this me trying to help help out mobility in this particular region too, right? Is there anything that you guys have done or that can show that shows the increase in the quality of life? And I understand that's kind of a very generic term and metric, but is there anything of that nature you would have that? um... That's probably hard to quantify, uh, Dennis, because, you know, like Amy mentioned, we made, our leaders made the decisions 30 years ago. So this is part of what I always describe as the great story of Orange County. And it's a story of self-determination and self-reliance. And that's the proactive decisions our leaders made to say, hey, this is the future we want. So we know transportation is a part of that. So we're gonna control our own future. And we're not gonna wait for the possibility that we could get some um, you know, funding from the state or from the feds. We're gonna control our own destiny and we're going to build all this transportation infrastructure, again, using your favorite term, non-recourse toll revenue bonds. <laughs> I guess, Sam, you, you're, you're too good. You, you, you could probably do a better job at this uh, the, than me. Look at you. No, I don't think so. <laughs> you, 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 you almost got like a little radio voice going on there, too. All right. I've been hanging around you too much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, look, I, 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 I can't. I can't say how much I, I applaud what I've, I've heard so far. I think to me, one of the biggest things that I hope to, you know, I hope that listeners get to, to get to hear about is that first off, I'm very fortunate that I get the time to, to hang out with you two and hear this stuff. Right. But at the end of the day, it is the nuances. It is the mindset. It is how you guys think about this stuff that means a whole lot. And, you know, and so, I mean, you know, this goes back to the first thing I had mentioned at the, at the very beginning when we first started talking, right? For me, I'll, I'll only obviously speak about myself here, but, you know, for me, it's hard to be this conservative in California who wants proper fiscal management, knowing the fact that I, as a conservative, it seems like the only thing I could ever root for is cars, because that really is the, you know, the grandest expression of the freedom of mobility, because everything kind of after that, if it is infrastructure, if it is, uh, you know, buses and rail, there's always going to be a slice of the pie that has to be funded from, you know, maybe even specifically the the gas tax, right? And it's just at some point, there's value in mobility. There's value in moving, in living in one city and working in another, you know, and you know, one of the things that I kind of even pride myself on right now is focusing on these elements of income mobility, physical mobility, and transportation mobility, right? And so building out roads is one way to accomplish this greater, um, you know, this increase in quality of life when it comes to income mobility through transportation mobility. And it just seems as if that user-based roads are really the, the the happy medium. I mean, to me, this is like the public-private partnership model. It, it is, and I, I think a key aspect that uh, everyone has to remember is, you know, despite the engineering term freeways, there are no free roads. So it all comes down to how do you want to pay? Uh, and as me as an individual, uh, that decision is whether I pay out of my left pocket 
through sales tax or gas tax, as you noted, or out of my right pocket through tolls. I like paying out of my right pocket because I like to pay for what I use. Uh, uh, you know, there are social programs uh, that I do believe in, but you know, I'm not necessarily looking to pay for everyone else's use of the road. I want to pay for what I use when I use it. So I'm a fan of the user fee model as well. And it, it, you know, it, it cannot be understated. And, and I think you've hit this home a few times now, Sam, is that what started as a project 30 years ago has allowed the toll roads to get to this point of this use, this user-based model, which again, that to me, that's the only way you can really measure demand and you can not only measure demand, but now you can actually use price as a tool to understand how you can maintain existing roads and then also project what other projects you want down the road. And again, a note in, if you, if you take public transportation, for instance, that's, you can't really understand who your customer is, what the demand is, if the user is not specifically paying every single time. And you got to find that balance, right? Because there is an equity component there in transportation, uh, like you mentioned earlier, uh, mobility and movement and transportation that ties into your mobility and income. So we have to think about that components, but the, the user fee model is, is a very strong and viable model. And as we think about the future and where we're headed, I mean, we can look to look at the visionary policies our governor's laying out, right? So if we're gonna have um, all new vehicles be electric vehicles in 2035, well, what's gonna to happen to the gas tax revenue? How do we continue to pay for maintaining existing roads, let alone uh, repairing them and building new ones? User fee models help overcome them. And so that even, even Newsom's policy of that, again, that's one of those things I kind of struggle with because of course I'd want more electric vehicles on the road. Um, but at the same time, I think there's great innovations with cars that you can still use internal combustion engines and specifically in California, for God's sakes, we have a huge population here. I mean, we, we all depend on that gas tax revenue. Yeah. I think you got to find a way to replace um, the revenue because you, you mentioned this, this term earlier. And uh, uh, I don't necessarily agree that these things are in conflict. It's all about how you find a balance, right? So TTA and what we're doing with COVID, both from a business side and a government agency side, we're able to find that balance by making good decisions. So when we think about our future, what we want to do with the environment, what we want to do with continued build out of roads, like you said, looking at demand management, all these things have to play together for us to find the best and right solution for our future. And we just need more visionaries like we had 30 years ago. Well, and that's up to you to carry on that vision. And then in your, you know, riding shotgun with you is Mrs. Amy Potter over here. You know, good Amy, yeah, you are. I mean, it's Amy, you know, so you and I, we're both local Orange County natives, you know, especially now that you have been working for the toll roads, what, what was your view prior to the toll roads? And, you know, what is it now? And, and, and let me be the first to, um, you know, offer my two cents. I'm Asian. I'm cheap. So, you know, my father was never, was always like, well, nope, we're not taking those toll roads. We will take the long way to get down to, you know, to, to Irvine. But here I am, you know, I, I'm a frequent user of the toll roads now, so I have a much different opinion on it. But, you know, what, how, how did you view the toll roads before? And then how do you view it now? Right. So before, um, I think the fact that they were still a little new, uh, meaning relatively new to the county, I had not, I was a little hesitant to try them, not because of the price, but just how do I do it? What do I, you know, where do I, where do I go? What do I need to do to pay? Um, and once I started working for the agency, well, it became a must because living where I live and working where I work, um, the best and direct route is on the toll road. And it's definitely one that's dependable. So um, I immediately became a fan and reliant on just knowing that I had that dependable commute. But, you know, back to that whole bigger picture concept like you were mentioning with user fees. I, I agree with you and Samuel 100% that, uh, you know, if it's, it's really about understanding to and being able to adapt to how we change over time. Uh, so even though 
you know, many years ago uh, here in Orange County, also throughout the nation, yes, it was, it was more common to think that you're going to pay for the roads or they're already paid for by somebody. And like Samuel said, there is no such thing as a free road, but people didn't think that way. Well, as that, those funds started being used for other purposes and they became more and more scarce, I think just seeing the benefits of these tools that we have and seeing how in the future things can change even more and how more valuable they become as time goes on, it's just something that, um, you know, we're always looking for a way to get that message out somehow. So it's really refreshing to hear you having a show like this where you really can focus on sending that message and, and really educating people. Well, I, again, I think it's very important for people to understand that this is not your great grandfather's America anymore. And we have made a lot of investments you know, in the public space and specifically roads. And I mean, you know, I go up to LA so often that I, I see what the, you know, what the antithesis of me is up there where everyone's fighting over trying to bring in the next electrified bus to dedicate, uh, you know, to close off a, a lane, to turn it into a bike lane, to have a pickup and drop off for, for Ubers and whatnot. And all of that takes money and again, most of the time, that's either going to be sought for sought from the the gas tax through some sure through some subsidy through the federal or state government, or through public private partnerships. And one of the things that I love about the public private partnership model is that eventually, when you do have the private fund something, then the public owns the asset; they're able to take it over and they can manage it in a way that obviously they're. They're they're much better off because hopefully they don't they're not buried in a in debt due to the uh, private investment and I think that's the one thing that what I see about the toll roads and what I see about the user base model that is really the for me the key model in moving forward and how more projects need to be built using a public private partnership model. And I I agree with you, Dennis. You know, from the financial perspective, you know, having that private investment like TCA has. Those investors bear the risk, right? But we take that risk um, as part of our fiduciary responsibility. So all the good things Amy was saying earlier about how we manage our debt, how we manage our revenue, how we manage our budget, that allows those investors to have comfort in what we're doing. Because uh, of course, all investors expect a, a reasonable rate of return, but we manage that aspect as well, as Amy noted, because we're always trying to uh, reduce the interest payments on our bonds and save the agency money, which allows us to uh, look at other mobility improvements or to pay down our debt early. So we're at a very unique time in our agency's history where our boards have some flexibility on, on how they look at things. So I think that aspect on the financial side is important. And then in terms of management side, what you mentioned is also important. Um, because we're managed, we're a public agency. And um, one of the great things about our story is our governance model, right? So our two uh, agencies are made up of our 18 member cities and the two on one and three on other uh, county supervisory districts. So we're managed by elected officials who are looking at the overall public good, but listening to our expert staff, like we have with Ms. Potter, in terms of how do we do so in a fiscally responsible way. So when I look throughout tolling, what we have in TCA is one of the best models out And I mean, you're not one to understate something because the reality is, is you've seen lots of models out there. I mean, g give us an idea. What would be the next competing model that, you know, again, the toll roads is just ahead of? So, you know, I, I would say they're, they're on both sides, right? So we have some agencies who are similar to TCA, but they also have an influx of, you know, either state or federal dollars. So they, they're balancing out their financial needs with multiple revenue sources. TCA, we only use private resources, right, in terms of our non-recourse non revenue bonds, but we're a public agency. Then on the other side, we have full public-private partnership where there's a private concessionaire 
who's running the road and they've invested their money, um, they might still have some debt on the books as well, but then they also have a profit motive. So when you look at you know, the bookends and how TCA sits in between, we don't have that profit motive and we're not dependent on dollars from state or federal resources or even local sales tax measures. So this is one of uh, the great things that we've accomplished here in Orange County and our residents should be very proud. Well, I am one of the residents and I am very proud. And again, if anything, I'm more honored just to hang out with you two and, and get to have this discussion. Because to be honest with you, and you probably know this more than anyone. Well, first off, I tried so hard to listen to, what is it, your board meetings? Uh-huh. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I... Those are, they're, they're too official for me. I mean, I guess that's just what it is. It's, it's too it's too much of a protocol. And so, you know, when I hear you guys talking a little bit, I'm just like, ah, oh, I want to I know more. I want to tell me more about that, you know? And that's why it's nice to actually hang out with you guys and 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 understand this stuff a little bit better. Because, like I said, I, I have, you know, I, I, I've had the chance to talk to some folks in San Clemente. I've, mm-hmm. I, I know the area well, and I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely baffled but I just, I, I don't get the strong opposition to not wanting to invest in roads going into their city. Mm-hmm. And so that's, it's just, it's still, I don't know, it's an anomaly for me. No, it, uh, it's tough. You make a good point. You know, some people see um, building uh, needed infrastructure as a way to care for their community, but other folks see building or not building as a way to care for their community. So you're always going to have those different mindsets, but if folks focus on what the challenges are and their vision for the future, what do they want for their community? What do they want for um, uh, their part of the county? What do they want for Orange County overall? If you take that focus, um, uh, then you can arrive at reasonable solutions as we just demonstrated through our completed study. And that's why you're in the position you're in and me over here, because you talk about you trying to balance those things out. Forget about it. I'll just. Uh, so let me ask you guys a couple of final questions here. And actually, we're going to we're going to change up the topics a little bit. If you if you both don't mind, we're going to I don't think you'll have a problem if we get a bit more academic. Okay. Amy, do, can I can I get a second? Is that how your meeting is? Can I get a second on that motion? So. I would like to hear um, from each of you about some of the, you know, best practices that you've had to implement during COVID. So, you know, for instance, um, maybe Amy, we can start with you. Obviously, you being a CFO, you having to crunch so many different numbers, you know, what was something, what was either a model, maybe a book, what helped you? to make decisions for the toll roads? Well, I mean, the obvious thing was we had to keep things running, right? And so just like everyone else, we immediately moved everybody off site um, and had to put telework policies into place and make it actually work. So that actually was surprisingly very smooth. Um, And then as far as just the bigger picture, um, questions as far as managing our finances. You know, we're always thinking about those things, obviously not in terms of COVID and a pandemic and how that just stopped um, basically businesses, but just always thinking ahead uh, to the long term, uh, looking at various risk scenarios. I mean, that's just something that we're required to do, especially when you're issuing bonds, you're always thinking about those types of things. So I guess I don't really have any one thing uh, that we- You're you're just you. You (laughs) you were just you. I guess so. Well, is there, so let me ask you this on, you know, during COVID, what is maybe one thing personally you've been doing to help you cope with Mm -hmm. life and work? Yes. And so for me, it's all about, uh, you know, taking that time to exercise. I've always really valued that, but making sure that I do that and balancing. And I think that is something that probably a lot of people have learned to appreciate is that work-life balance. And so we're always, we're so committed here and we're just all go-getters that 
you know, we tend to work a lot of hours just because that's who we are and what we do, but realizing that you need to take care of yourself as well, things like exercise. And well, so Samuel, question to you, share maybe one thing that you're doing during COVID that's, uh, is benefiting you personally and professionally. That's a tough, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Cause kind of like Amy said, um, I don't think there's one thing, um, I, uh, that's driven specifically by COVID. I'm not doing as good a job as Amy on the exercise side, but I'm working on it. I'm trying, but you know, I think it's more in, in this world. Uh, you know, we've got a talented and diverse executive team with, you know, four other talented folks, just like Amy. So I get to listen a lot more about their ideas and how we can run our agency, how we can protect our people and make sure that the now doesn't prevent us from thinking about the future. So I'm really enjoying that aspects and uh, I might be a bit of a glutton for punishment. But, you know, having to do those things in the challenges um, of the pandemic, um, you know, it, it's, it's rewarding. It's, it's hard work, but it is rewarding. Well, so, but are you, would you like, so that's, that's a lot of, I could see that, you know, on one hand, you are a glutton for pain to love those, that kind of work, mm-hmm. which to be honest with you, I secretly, I kind of, the way that you had sold that to me, I kind of like it too. But, 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 you know, there's still, you still have to manage it all. I mean, so maybe you're not exercising. Are you, are you, are you like journaling, trying to manage these things? Or you had talked about listening like, is is there something even specific on how you listen? Do you you have a particular way of listening that allows you to take in all sides and be able to make decisions based off of that? Well, I, you know, I, I think I've always tried to be a good listener. I will say the one thing we've done with the challenges of COVID and looking at our telework policy, I did mandate that all our meetings be video conferencing because I need to see body language and facial gestures because that communicates a lot and that helps me listen. So, uh, and I, I pick with the team a lot. I know people's tales. Like I, can, I always know when Amy's ready to add to a conversation. Uh, from her body gestures, and I know when some other members of our executive team, when they're uncomfortable with something. So I, I think the visual ways uh, that I've listened, I've definitely improved uh, during the pandemic. Have you seen some of these viral videos of teachers uh, teaching like very young children and and kind of how almost performative-based they've oh. become on camera? Have you seen any of these videos? I, I, I have not. Unfortunately, I've been watching some of the other ones where people pretend they're frozen. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to Google that one. Or the cat I, I don't videos, know. I guess. Oh, the cat video. All right. Well, I think what's interesting, one of the things that I've, that I've learned and picked up on, and maybe this is something that you could, this, this will help you guys too, is that uh, I've seen a couple teachers that they've become like literally thespians on camera mm. as they're teaching to especially younger children because they have to be very animated with them. Which made me get to think that, you know, especially where I, I don't think I've had to do it here because it's just been a very natural conversation, but certainly there's other times where I'm having these group calls and you literally have to do these like, right? And mm-hmm. and again, it's like, it's the best way to all of a sudden, like someone's like, oh, Dennis, go ahead, you know? And, but you, you, you kind of have to do those gestures like, what? <laughs> you know, like you kind of have to do that. You got to be animated. So yeah. mm-hmm. Amy, if there's, I hope, I hope you could hold Samuel to this, that it's your guys' next call there, that he has to be very animated when he talks and when he interacts. Cause again, at the end of the day, he's the one that's mandating all of you to be on video. So you might as well do it. That's right. And at first uh, there was a little pushback because some of us wanted to just stay in our pajamas <laughs> from home. <laughs> I mean, look, right. It, it's, it's all about, well, you can't really see, but it's, you know, it's all about what's on the top half. Yes. <laughs> Uh, well, Sam, Amy, is there anything that I have yet to touch upon that you would like to to bring up? Anything come to mind, your mind, Amy? Uh, no, I think we covered quite a bit. I mean, yes, I will yeah, say, we, you know, we really appreciate this conversation uh, with you. Uh, as you can tell, uh, Amy and I have a lot of passion about this topic. You know, transportation finance is an important part of our future and, and it always will be um, even when we get to flying cars there, there's going to be some portion of transportation we have to think about 
So being able to have these discussions and share uh, some of our thoughts with your audience um, is part of uh, probably something um, the professionals in our industry should have done a better job of years back. We've got to make sure the public understands how roads are paid for, um, not just to construct, but there is a cost to maintain them and there is a cost to use them. Again, there are no free roads. We just have to figure out how you best pay for them. Amen. Listeners, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Wisco Weekly as we end every episode. Cheers. Prost. Lachaim. Kipis. Nastravi. Salut. Kampai. Mabruk. Tutsits. Gambe. Yamas. Nastarovie. Vo. Salute. And saude to the customer experience. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Wisco Weekly. If you're liking the podcast, please do look to rate review, and always subscribe to the show. Wisco Weekly is proudly supported by Automotive Mastermind. Automotive Mastermind is the leading predictive analytics and email marketing automation company in the automotive space. Be sure you check them out at automotivemastermind.com. Thanks for tuning in. And don't forget, we got the Friday Rundown coming up. (laughs) 